Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. I'm Caleb Simmons. And I'm Joshua Simmons. We are two brothers who love fly fishing, our families, and our men of faith. But like most of you listening, we're still not experts on any of those subjects. So our hope is to speak with as many people that we believe are experts on these subjects and pose the questions that most of us are asking. So thanks for joining us along the journey as we seek to inspire and encourage dads and anglers as we wade through fishing, fatherhood, and faith on the fly. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 98 of the Dazzle the Five podcast. I'm Caleb Simmons, joined, as always, by my brother, Joshua Simmons. And Joshua, as this episode drops, we're actually on vacation with our families, so uh, we're recording this intro a little bit early. Actually, but, we're uh, back from vacation. That's right. We will have just gotten back from <laughs> We week, can't keep up with this when we don't do it God, this way. Man, I know it's so hard. It's weird. But um, we're excited to give some people a recap on that trip. But uh, before we dive in today's uh, conversation with some amazing people, we want to tell everybody... Uh, and make sure everybody knows, if you didn't hear last week's episode, go back and check it out. But we're getting really excited. We just celebrated two years of doing the podcast together, and we're coming up on our 100th episode. And we got some special stuff prepared for our 100th episode. Episode 100 has got two cool things. Number one, gives you, our listeners, a chance to uh, maybe, hey, why do you guys never talk about this? Or tell me what fly you tie for this. Or tell me, um, you know, which guest did you like more? Can you try to get this guest on? We'll even take that. We won't do it for the 100th episode, but we'll, we'll try. Um so send us your topic request or questions for episode 100. Episode 100 is going to be Caleb and myself, probably just us two. We might throw in a special guest, uh, but I think it's going to be just us two. I have thought about a special guest, baby, but definitely Caleb and I, and that's going to be cool. The other thing about the 100th episode is you're going to want to listen, even if you're not a, into fly fishing. <laughs> and you're going to have to listen to the whole episode because at the end of the 100th episode, we're going to do the rules for the big giveaway. And man, Joshua, this this hundredth episode giveaway is just shaping up to be something it, incredible. I'm kind of bummed I can't win it. Um, but it builds uh, every day. It does, yeah. And you keep adding more and more well, stuff. Well, most to of it. this we stuff, we got some great stuff, and we got stuff coming from some of our sponsors. Um, we've got some stuff coming from uh, some some of past people that we've interviewed and had on the show. We're gonna have things like Angler's Coffee. We're gonna have some Anadromous Fly Company tying tools. We're gonna have. Um, uh, you got some other gear maybe coming from possibly from we're some gonna other folks hold on and uh, most of the so stuff just you already hang have, out so you don't yeah. have to be too jealous that's true <laughs> so just hang out and make sure uh, that you are listening for the Dazzle on the Fly hundredth episode because it is going to be a giveaway that you do not want to miss all right and today you get to hear a super cool episode that I did solo yeah, this is you. another view without me man. Yeah, you got to start doing some me without you without me. Um, <laughs> like that's ever going to happen. <laughs> well, whenever you go somewhere, like, you got some cool people you go on to. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, this yeah. was on my uh, trip with my wife to Austin, Texas. Uh, this was the Wednesday morning of, went out and did some fishing on a, a, a stream called Brushy Creek right there in Round Rock, Texas, which is a really cool name. And it's actually Round Rock, Texas, because there's a round rock in the middle of the river. Sweet. But um, this episode is with the Fly Shop. Owner, founder, um, all extraordinaire, Mr. Chris Johnson of Living Waters Fly Fishing. Living Waters Fly Fishing there in Round Rock, Texas. Joshua had a you had a really crazy trip, awesome trip with him, and um, we get to hear a little bit more, I think, about his story and uh, some more stuff about fly fishing. And so, pretty neat. Uh, you wouldn't think Central Texas fly fishing would be anything worth talking about, and it actually is a pretty pretty great thing. Yeah. So, two things I'll say before we jump in the episode. Number one. Uh, Chris was, ex when I sent, when I actually didn't send it out anywhere, I didn't put it on Instagram. I just said, Hey, to our listeners, where should, who, where should I fish in Texas? I'll be in Austin immediately. Just so many responses, go find Chris at living water fly fishing. So, uh, Chris was gracious enough to meet me one early morning before the shop opened and, uh, gave me the, the great treatment, bought me some donuts and, uh, we sat around and he talked about some really cool things. Um, a lot of the native species of fish there, which were really awesome that he talks about. Very knowledgeable guy. And uh, he does just an awesome job of making his shop a place where people feel like they can come and uh, even like leave their kid for the day to tie flies. And that kid's going to be in a good environment. And he, he mentioned that on the episode. So I don't want to spoil too much of the episode. Chris was awesome. Got to fish with him. And then the next day, got to go out with one of his guides. So um, big thanks to Chris and all of the folks in Round Rock, Texas that uh, kind of spent some time with me. Um, that week and 
I think everybody will really enjoy this episode of learning about the fisheries and also what Chris built. I mean, he built this fly shop, man. Just wait till you hear about the where he first started it, like what it was in and what it smelled like in that place. <laughs> so uh, you're going to want to hear what this place smelled like before he moved it to his new location. So, um, Caleb, if we don't have anything else, I hope everybody just really enjoys episode 98 of Dads on the Fly with Chris Johnson of Living Water Fly Fishing. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode and this conversation with Chris Johnson of Living Water. Um, we're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll dive into our conversation with Chris of Living Water Fly Fishing. Dads on the Fly is brought to you by Trout Routes. Joshua, I love the Trout Routes app, and it has become an amazing tool that helps us to find more trout to catch whenever we go on any of our adventures together. Just exploring new water is what makes Trout Routes great, and these guys are always making the app better. Something is added every day, a new feature. They've just added the Street View feature, which you've got to check out. Click on the orange dot, hit Street View, you can see what the trout stream looks like there. So I can't tell you enough about how cool Trout Routes is when you're out looking for new water. And that's a game changer for us, Josh. We'll be able to see these locations where you want to try to access these rivers. I mean, it's going to be great. So I'm stoked to continue to use the Trout Routes app. We encourage everybody, go wherever you get your apps, download the Trout Routes app. They will be the best tool to help you find more trout to catch. One thing we've done recently is so much smally fishing. And so much smally fishing means we're on our raft. And when you hook into that big smally, man, you want to get that sucker in a net. And we have chosen, and we are so happy to be have Dads on the Fly brought to you by Catch Cam Nets. Yeah, Joshua, Catch Cam Nets are amazing. Uh, the cool thing that I love about Catch Cam Nets is they allow you to design and build your own net. So for whatever type of fishing you're doing, to customize it with certain uh, logos or different, you know, they got rulers on the net handles, all these amazing things that just make your fishing experience better. So we encourage everybody, if you're looking and if you're in the market for a net, check them out at catchcamnets.com. And the best thing about it is if you are a small water fisher, if you are a big water fisher, whatever fish you're catching, chasing, they have a net for you. So please reach out to Bo and Steven over at Catch Cam Nets and they will build your custom net today. Well, welcome to the show, Mr. Chris Johnson from Living Waters Fly Fishing. Chris, how you doing today, buddy? Doing very well. Thanks for having me. Oh man, thank you for the treatment this morning. Uh, folks, I have arrived here at Living Waters Fly Fishing and uh, what, a, what a great spot and also just a sweet view, little place we got to set up and record this morning. Um, so Chris, I really appreciate you taking your time out for me this morning. Um, tell me a little bit, first of all, before we get into the history of this shop and, and the history around Rock, Texas and what kind of brought you here, what is your sort of background with a fly rod? <laughs> uh, without going too deep into any one thing on that, um, about 11 years old, I got a fly tying kit. So my parents gave me one when I was about 11. And uh, the funny part was I didn't fly fish. And there's actually a home video back when we had home video cameras and not just phones running around everywhere. My dad asked, uh, he goes, well, do you think you can do this? And I was like, no, this looks hard. And now I'm, uh, now I'm a fly designer for Umqua. So things kind of escalated quickly, you might say. But uh, I learned how to fly fish shortly after that. Because if you're going to tie flies, probably ought to learn how to fish them. So that was the, the start. And it's all, I guess, kind of the cool thing is everything started here in Round Rock. Uh, that was where it all began. Too cool. Was that one of those uh, home video cameras that you put up on your shoulder? Was it that old one? Or I had one that old one time. It, it was probably the iteration right after that. <laughs> they had the little disc in it, right? That went oh, straight yeah. into the, uh, uh, some people may not even know what that is. They had the little DVD that you went straight in. Absolutely. No SD cards back in the day, man. No, no sir. Digital, I, th sure. I think this actually had the full-on tape. There you, oh, yeah, sweet. This was, there this you go. full-on like micro, micro VHS. Oh, that you put, yeah, yeah, those were good. Had to have the adapter. For sure. Those were solid. So, um, Round Rock, Texas, what, what brought? Are you from Round Rock, Texas? So in, I would say yes. At, at, at my core, I was actually born up in the Dallas area. Uh, my dad wound up taking a job, an IT job down here when I was about six or seven. Moved down here. Uh, I have a lot of family down here. And so we all he kind of moved the family down here for a number of reasons. And uh, obviously employment being one of the major ones. And so uh, pretty much all the life I remember, uh, I mean, obviously I have a couple of mem memories from the Dallas Metroplex, but most of it's down here. And so we've been here, gosh, what, 30 years now? Okay, so Round Rock, Texas is, um, to the best of my knowledge, it seems like a kind of suburb area of Austin, or is it kind of its own place? I mean, it looked pretty cool driving this morning. It's pretty early, not much going on yet. <laughs> I, would say, I would say it used to be more of its own place, and I think if you were to ask anybody in the city uh, that has lived here a long time, we would claim that it's our, that it's our own place. Uh, we don't want to be associated with Austin <laughs> gotcha. like, because because it, it it is its own thing and um, but I, I would say I mean as the as Austin has grown as Round Rock has grown 
it's starting to get a little harder to differentiate where one stops and one begins. Gotcha. Uh, so time flies early. That was your start into fly fishing. Uh, do you remember the first kind of fly or attempted flies that you had Absolutely. there? I know in my case, it was very much attempted for a while. Uh, maybe you caught on a little, a little faster than I did. I, I had a weird way of going about it. So the, the fly tying kit had a VHS and I think it was Skycomish beginning fly tying or something like that. Just some real, like he got it at a sporting goods store here locally. They don't even carry fly tying stuff. Uh, but they had these kits and they were carrying them for a while. So I'm glad that they did. Cause that's where I got my start. Uh, but we went through the video. My dad tied the first one with me step by step. So it actually looked like the thing on, on the actual page. And so that was encouraging to go, okay, this isn't so bad. I think that was the only time I followed a fly out of the book. The rest of them, I just straight created. <laughs> Perfect, yes. And, and there is some merit to that. And I tell people that all, we do a ton of fly tying classes up here and we have the largest fly tying selection in Texas by a long shot. And the fly tying is an integral part of the store, but with that, we tell people, don't just be replicators, be creators. Uh, that way you can actually see what works for your fishery. Let the fish teach you what they want. And you can kind of derail from the, you know, the step-by-step -step recipes a little bit to tailor it to be something that you're really proud of and something that might even be more effective than what you were trying to replicate. Too cool, man. I think, I think sometimes we get caught up um, maybe in the Instagram world or maybe in just even the magazine world now and you look and you see all these tires and they're just they're Absolutely. just so incredible and they create these things that should be on magazines. Um, but for, for a, a new fly tire, I know I, I'm still very much a novice fly tire. I've only been tying for about a year. And uh, Caleb, everybody who listens to the show knows that Caleb is much more advanced than I am. But just uh, sometimes my ugly flies catch a lot of fish where I live, so I'm pretty happy about it, and that's what I try to tell people when they get into it because it can be a little intimidating, especially when you come in here. Uh, and you're right, man. What a selection down there for sure. When you go into a store and see like all that, it's like, oh, my gosh, what do I buy? And I where do remember, you start? Yeah, where do you start? Um, but, yeah, it, it's a great way to be creative. Um, if you're a creative person, I'm not really a creative person, which probably kind of limits me a little bit, but being able to, you know, create something that's going to catch a fish, I think is one of the coolest parts in the last couple of years that I've gotten into fly fishing. And so that kind of started you. And, um, so in this area, you, you start tying flies, you all of a sudden get a fly rod in your hand. So what, what are you all of a sudden going to chase as a species here in, in Round Rock Tech? Like what was your first kind of mission to go out and say, all right, I got these flies. What am I going to catch with these flies? Honestly, like, I think that's one of the greatest things about living here um, is that you have options. Unlike if you go out west, it's a, you know, mostly a trout monoculture where, you know, you can catch maybe different species of trout, but it's going to be trout for the most part. Here, we can, I mean, that, that's the unique thing of where the shop is situated. My first thing, obviously, was bass and panfish. I mean, and that's, I grew up catching them. I had, uh, my grandparents had a place on the Ciblo, which is a creek that originates out in the Western Hill Country and then makes its way kind of through San Antonio and then eastward. Uh, and they were east of San Antonio. We caught Guadalupe bass down there. We were catching Rio Grande cichlids. We caught a wide variety of sunfish, catfish, you name it, they had it. But the really cool thing is that here in Round Rock, just, I mean, just across the street where you're going to go later this morning, Brushy Creek's got Guadalupe bass, largemouth bass, a wide array of sunfish. I think there's like five or six different species of sunfish. You've got Rio Grande cichlids, catfish, carp, all in one single creek. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a ton more species in there, but those are what we normally target. If I drive an hour south, I'm in rainbow trout. And if I want to drive a little bit further, three hours, I'm at the Texas coast and it's, you know, speckled trout, redfish, tarpon, all that sort of stuff. So we've got this really incredible just diversity within a three hour radius where that just doesn't happen much. And, and, and there's even more than that if you want to travel other directions out of here. But it's, it's incredibly special. If you want to fly fish in Texas, you want to live here. I just, that is something that – and I don't think enough people realize that personally. I just know uh, being in the fly fishing kind of space now for a couple of years with the show, um, I don't think – I didn't think about that until I started looking at what you guys put on Instagram, kind of following your shop a little bit, talking to people. And they were like, yeah, man, if you really want to spend the day, you could go all the way to the coast, which I don't. You know, i got some other things got to do. But they were like, you talk to Chris, and he's going to put you on some native fish that are native to Texas, which is always cool for me because, you know, being where we're from, we have the native brook trout, and everybody comes and loves the Absolutely. native brook trout. And that's always been a thing that kind of drew 
uh, Caleb and myself into fly fishing, so native brook trout, native brook trout, and then to hear about some native fish here. So, so let's talk first of all about this this Rio. I don't want to say it wrong, but uh, say it again for us. Okay, so it's a Rio Grande cichlid. A Rio Grande cichlid. And so I was showing people pictures that I was going to try to come catch one of these things this morning, and uh, and they we'll were get kinda, you one. Yeah, they were kind of like, "What is that?" And I was like, "Well, it kind of looks like a panfish, but I'm not really sure if it has that classification." So. They're native to this area or native to Texas? They're native to Texas. So I, I actually wound up doing a presentation on that earlier this week uh, for the store. The The fish is one that I would say a lot of people catch incidentally as bycatch where they're fishing for sunfish and they wind up catching one like, what is this? And I mean, because it, 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 it's the right size to be a panfish, but it doesn't really look like a sunfish at all. And it's because it's not. It's actually the only native cichlid in the entire U.S., so it's more of a tropical style fish, but they propagated it in San Marcos at a hatchery and spread it all throughout the hill country. And one of the things is even though it could be considered, you know, invasive outside of its range, the thing that's really cool is since it is a native fish to Texas, it co-patriates with all of our native species really well. So wherever it's been introduced, it just kind of stays, hangs out, doesn't really get in anybody else's way for the most part. And they're incredibly fun to fish for i think one of the most intellectually demanding of all of our species uh I, my rule in cichlid fishing is he who he who gets mad first loses <laughs> <laughs> so what a average size of these fish what do they run i would say probably average size is about hand size um the a large one which i mean i've for the last six to seven years anybody that's hung around me knows that i've really focused a lot of my fishing efforts on that individual species I've, I've turned, I used to tournament bass fish, had a ranger bass boat, you know, fished circuits around central Texas and did all that. So, I mean, bass fishing is like second nature to me. That's something that I've done most of my life and sunfish you grow up doing. So, I mean, you kind of got those figured out. So when I started guiding those, that's kind of your bread and butter, but there was always this one, one fish species that you'd always encounter. And you're like, I really don't know what makes them tick. There's, there's billions of dollars spent on bass tournaments and research and baits and all that sort of stuff. Sunfish, I mean, let's be honest, they're pretty easy. If, you, if they can fit the food in the mouth hole, they're going to eat it. And, and the thing about cichlids is that everybody I ask, like, what do you know about them? I kept getting a lot of silence in my answers. And so there wasn't a lot of research done on them, uh, even within the fly fishing world. Uh, and then biologically, from the biological world, I actually presented a couple of years ago to a room of about 200 uh, senior level biologists, grad students, and uh, collegiate level researchers. And I said, out of this room of 200, I said, how many of you, you have actually done research work on this fish? And I got two hands out of 200. So wow. it, it's, it's very, very much a, it, it's kind of an enigma. I mean, we, we all know it's there. We all know the life history of the fish and everything like that. But not a lot of people really have applied that life history and see, I mean, there's very little known about seasonal trends and stuff like that. So that's in the last seven years, what I really wanted to figure out. And after seven years of like focused fishing for this species, I'm just now starting to really understand them. Getting dialed in. So I guess my next question would be, what, what do they like to attack? Do they, are they a, a topwater fish? They, they eat everything? or it, it, I mean, you'll occasionally get one on topwater. It's very situational. Okay. Um, it's got to be the right population of fish in the right time of year. They are primarily a subsurface feeder, right. and they're actually omnivorous, believe it or not. Um, I've seen them eat plenty of salad. So it's just one of those things that can be really irritating. Uh, but a big one, just to give you an idea, is about the size of a sheet of notebook paper. Oh, wow. Um, the, the, the record is 11.1 inches and 2.02 pounds. Um, so, I mean, that, and that was caught about an hour, about an hour and a half south of here. Um, I've caught several. In fact, in 2020, I caught seven that beat that link record. Um, wow. where, I mean, there's some big fish. You just, I couldn't get the weight. I think they were prim primarily eating salad. You don't really gain a whole lot of weight when you eat salad. I, I found out. Yeah, too bad I can't speak to that. I don't, <laughs> last night's, uh, last night's, um, you know, Tex-Mex here in my, was not necessary. I don't think there was any salad anywhere to be found. Well, and that donut that I gave you this morning didn't help either. Yes, that was a nice uh, welcome too. That was beautiful. I love that thing. Uh, right here in Round Rock. Only thing uh, Round Rock's famous for is our donuts. And fly fishing. There you go. It, it's coming. There you go. <laughs> so um, how do you fish them? Do you, uh, you know, you, I told you I was, I kind of just brought my four way today. I'm going to get out there and kind of play a little bit with that. But is that typically what you do? Those kind of size yeah, rods I mean, anywhere? Three and four weights are great because it's not an overly large fish. I mean, you think about it, it tops out it under a foot. I mean, they're, they're scrappy. I mean, they're definitely going to give you a run for your money once you hook them. 
but I mean, they're, they're more of a bottom type. I'm not going to say bottom dweller, but they, they feed more subsurface. You'll catch them feeding in the water column, but mostly picking stuff up off the bottom. And the important thing is taking a fly that's weighted, dropping it down in front of them. And the part that most people make the mistake with cichlids is they fish the fly too fast. They're, I mean, the first thing any warm water fly fisher does is they'll actually strip a fly and they want to move it. And that makes total sense for bass and sunfish and things like that. Cichlids want you to crawl it. They want it like, you know, trundling over the bottom one pebble at a time. And the longer you can keep that fly in front of that fish in that strike zone, the better. And the more you can sit there and just like poke at that fish and go, come on, eat it, eat it, eat it. <laughs> then they finally snap. And I mean, I've, I've literally worked on a single fish. If it's a big fish and it's, you know, starting to get territorial about an area or something like that, I've worked on a single fish for 40 minutes before. Wow. I mean, they, they got a pretty solid, <laughs> pretty solid fortitude when it comes to their stubborn. Yeah. They're very, very much a, a stubborn fish and they've, they'll, they'll sit there in their mental fortitude of just like, not going to eat it, but I'll chase it off. Not going to eat it, chase it off. And then finally they snap. So you have a certain pattern or a couple patterns that you guys uh, there's recommend. A hand, yeah. There's a handful of patterns that are good. You know, you've got, you know, jigged head, you know, or jig style, like Euro nymphs and stuff like that do really well. If you're just coming from another area and you don't have access to local patterns, uh, what you'll be fishing today is one of mine, uh, and it's a it's actually the first fly ever commercially produced by any fly company that was originally designed for Rio Grande cichlids. Too cool, man. Yeah, so the Rio Bandito is actually my pattern, and uh, it, what's what's been crazy is the fly was originally designed for cichlids, and I've caught everything and fins on it. I've caught brown trout, rainbow trout, cutthroat trout, you know, carp, catfish, you name it. Everything eats it. Bass and sunfish, of course, but this little fly imitates just a juvenile crayfish and sits right on the bottom. So I think I'm going to, I can tell when Caleb hears this, he's going to want me to bring some of these home because uh, I feel like maybe some smallies will get all over that. No, they, a great they would munch fishery. it. Yeah. So how was that process? We hadn't really talked about that. Um, how exciting was that to get your, that was your first fly for Uncle? Or? I've had a, I've had a number before that one. That, okay. This is the first one that I would say has ever, I mean, cause warm water flies don't get picked up nearly as much for as sure. trout flies. I mean, just because let's be honest, trout are where this sport really revolves around. And, and I mean, a lot of people turn their nose up at that. There's no fault to that. There's just every movie you watch, everything you ever read growing up. It was all about the elegance of fishing in the Western States or, you know, up in the Appalachians or, you know, up around New York, all that. So, I mean, there's a lot of the, the birthplaces of some of this, of some of the sport really were in places where trout were dominant. Um, the saltwater market kind of made a play, but you know, it was funny. I mean, even back when I was growing up, if you read an Orvis catalog, good luck finding a bass in it. You know, it was striper and bluefish on the East coast. And then you had, you know, you might see some travel stuff for bonefish and tarpon, but most of it was going to be trout. And I mean, and, and that's just, that, that's where it was. Now I feel like everybody's kind of realized that there's a lot more to this sport. And the fact of the matter is you're going to fish where you live. You might travel to Bula Bula every once in a while, but like you live where you are. And I mean, and that's the part, and I know that sounds redundant, but like we're 90 seconds from Rushy Creek right here. You can fish that. I fish it before work all the time. That's too cool. I mean, we talk about that. We have something we have really learned in doing this show and, you know, people will send us messages or, Hey, how do I get my kids to fly fish? Well, first of all, you need to find fish close because mm -hmm. like how we'll may talk about this in a second half of the episode, but you know, you don't want to take two 10 and 12 year old kids across the country to, you know, for their first ever and even find out if they like it, find fish where you are, find ponds. We've talked, that's been a thing that even with my own son, Man, he loves panfish on poppers and just Absolutely. and just like find fish where you are and get you can learn so much. And I think you're right. People when they get into fly fishing, they kind of turn. Like, oh well, I have to catch trout. Um, and now I'm sort of we've caught trout for so long. It's like I'm looking for new things to, to go after. Absolutely. And I'm like, what can I catch on a fly rod? Which is why I'm so excited today to go after these native Texas species. And um, so you've got the the Rio Grande, say it again so I don't mess it up. Cichlid. Cichlid. The Rio Grande Cichlid. And then you also have, I think, something I'm going to try to do tomorrow with uh, one of your guides, which is uh, Guadalupe bass, correct? We're going to try to actually get you one of those this morning, too. Okay, so okay. So you, we might have you. You might get to double dip on that there you one. Go. But, uh, but yeah, Guadalupe bass are the ones that uh, are native to the Texas Hill Country only. They're only endemic to Central Texas. Um, incredible fish. They're clearly made for here. They're, they actually are somewhat more trout-like in their behavior than they are bass-like sometimes, preferring swifter currents. And uh, I mean, it's, it's really cool. I mean, they're a neat fish. They're very aggressive. Um, they can be pretty educated. If you catch them in places that, you know, get gets pretty, pretty heavy traffic, they can get pretty smart. 
Uh, the big ones in Brushy Creek, I'd put them over any brown trout anywhere that in a tailwater that's pressured. It, I mean, I've always told people, I'm like, you give me a pressured brown trout on a tailwater any day of the week over a bass that's been pressured in an urban area because that fish you can make a you can make that trout eat. You can't make that bass eat. I mean, everybody goes out there. Oh, I can do it. I'm like, yeah. Well, <laughs> call me next year. You know, it's just one of those things of like it's there's certain windows of time, certain opportunities where that happens, but that fish i mean the guadalupe bass like they're when, when you catch them out in the hill country they can be a dime a dozen they're just amazing it's just one right after the other after the other they're a beautiful fish they've actually one of the ways you can differentiate them uh, you open their mouths they have a little tooth patch on their tongue so you can tell it just like a spotted bass would um, very very incredibly beautiful fish and the ones we have in brushy creek which is one of the reasons i want to try to get you one today they're actually genetically pure um, so we actually have one of the one of the best populations in all of texas right here across from us here in the creek we actually had um it was last weekend we did our first population assessment tournament well in conjunction with inland fisheries in texas parks and wildlife and we did kind of a citizen science project through the store had about 45 anglers deployed them on the creek sent them out there with measuring boards and we had i think uh i think we had like almost 90 fish on the boards wow and then i think the we had a bunch that flopped off in the process of taking photos and whatnot so they didn't count for the weigh-in but we had about 150 fish caught somewhere around i think it was like 140 150 um to be expected and the neat thing about it is like we had one kid uh man he's just he's incredible hank is he's an incredible angler kid caught 29 fish on the boards Holy i mean in one section of brushy creek and these are all genetically pure guadalupe bass and i mean they were stunning it was incredible that is pretty impressive um so to speak about uh just brushy creek and kind of these two fish and i either said some other species there do does texas wildlife um i guess what you call texas wildlife right texas now, parks and wildlife, texas yeah. parks and wildlife did they uh, are these all catch release fish or to, to protect those resources for you guys and for the angler this is kind of its own story honestly and brushy creek is kind of exhibit a um we i mean we're in an urban area i mean and just to give you an example of growth rate in the 70s round rock was 3500 people now it's about 150 000. holy cow so i mean it, it has exploded and part of that was the technological boom with dell and all that sort of stuff but i mean we've got samsung we've got dell we've got apple we've got amazon you know, there's a bajillion others that are all these tech companies that have moved in here, a lot of it to as kind of the epicenter of this tech company. But you also have, you know, the Austin area, too, which has a lot of that. So there's a, a major draw for people to work here and live here. So as a result, you get a lot of people using the same green spaces and stuff like that. And while that would normally be this major detriment, um, one of the things we saw is some of the areas that we go that are a little bit more remote, we don't see an angler like all day long. You just won't see one. It's the parks and the public places that, and that's with anywhere. But here, now that we're seeing this growth rate, we're seeing a lot more pressure and a lot more tax put on some of these parks, which are in many cases, some of the more desirable breeding water for these fish and some of the places where they get the biggest because that water's a little deeper. And that's the reason the park is there and all that sort of good stuff. Well, We've kind of put Brushy Creek on the map, essentially, as a shop. I mean, 15 years ago, we're celebrating our 15th year anniversary this week. And I mean, which is weird to believe. But the, when we started the shop, I might have known six people that actually fly fish the creek with any amount of regularity. Now there's hundreds, if not more. Um, and everybody's like, well, aren't you worried you're going to love it to death? I'm like, well, here's the difference. We now are fighting battles, even with the city, on wastewater releases east of town. So nothing that affects the stuff here here in Round Rock proper. It's the stuff that, you know, where they discharge a little bit further east. There's been some really, really negative effects out there. And we fought that and essentially won uh, because there's a very, very passionate group of anglers that are behind it. And then from a conservation side, you know, the just the statewide limits applied to Brushy Creek, which they're pretty lenient. You can keep as many sunfish as you want, as many Rio Grande cichlids as you want. There's no size limit or bag limit on that. Um, you know, you could cast net bait fish and all that and even take them to other places to go use them uh, is what most people were doing. What, there's probably some legality issues in that, but we'll leave that alone for the podcast. But nonetheless, you know, there was a lot of people using the resource and taking from it but never giving anything back or even the thought of going, man, you know, other people fish here in this park. Maybe I don't want to keep all these fish. So we, as anglers, really brought that to Texas Parks and Wildlife's attention. And it's not solely as the shop, but really the, the fly fishing community that has really been a part of that. I, I'm, I'm never going to take full credit for any of this. It's really something that if we didn't have people that were avid anglers and supporting these fisheries and making them known even on social media and stuff like that, 
there wouldn't be the awareness to for, for even Parks and Wildlife to go, man, there's a lot of people fishing that. And what happened is they wound up doing genetic studies on our Guadalupe bass and they were pure. Well, that's one of less than 20 populations that are really managed in the state. And so, I mean, there's a Guadalupe bass everywhere, but there's there were smallmouth stocked on top of them back when. And I know this is a little lengthy, but when you come down to this, that that has been something that it caught their eye and they decided they wanted to manage it. So the first thing that went into effect was, uh, I believe it was two years ago. Um, I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me, but I believe it was two years ago. It was rod and line only for method of retention. So you couldn't cast net, trot line, jug line, spearfish, noodle, anything like that. I mean, noodling's weird, but you can't do that either. <laughs> but the, the thing about it is now you're looking at, we, we started to see the bait fish recruitment come up. We're starting to see more fish in more places. And now you can't just go out there and cast net all these sunfish that are actively spawning and keep them for your trot line bait. That was step one. Then, and they've been, we see game wardens monitoring it and stuff like that. The really cool one is our anglers came out in a huge way this past year. And in just a couple of months, as of September 1st, we will have a five fish aggregate bag limit on Brushy Creek of all species. And only one of those can be a bass over 14 inches. And so that protects our Guadalupe bass, our spawning level largemouth, and you can't even keep more than five panfish. So all the bucket sitters have to go home. What I hear in that story, and I know you kind of try not to take much credit for it. I'm sure you had a lot more involved than you like to speak of yourself. But what we have found out, Caleb and I, in doing this show, is there is not a more passionate group of people than the fly angler community. Absolutely. And when they decide or they feel something needs to happen, man, they, the, the community just comes out. Absolutely. And, and that's what it sounds like to me that you have a community of anglers here who's just passionate about, one, protecting resources, and, and two, about fly fishing. And those things, the more and more we do this show, the more and more people we talk to, like yourself, they go together everywhere because um, we need to protect our resources. And uh, to be able to do that, man, what a cool thing. Now that you've got this, you know, to protect this, what seems like I'm about to experience here in a little bit, this awesome fishery. You're going to love it. And now you're going to protect, <laughs> and now it's getting protected. And uh, too cool for Round Rock. So let's talk a little bit. You've mentioned it. I, I want to give you your opportunity maybe to brag about yourself a little bit. But we are sitting in... I wish I'm going to get, get some pictures before I leave. I've been to a lot of fly shops. Um, this is a cool spot, man. I mean, you've got, you've got it going on here. Just the, we're just kind of sitting up here. What it almost looks like the little, I don't know what you call this. This is the loft, the loft and, uh, looking over, um, your selection of gear and everything down there. But I asked you when I walked in, I was like, you said this was a grassy field 15 years ago, right? Yeah. I mean, and honestly, even less than that, it was, uh, we've had this building, uh, six years in September. So a grassy field and Chris Johnson has, and his team and everybody else, you've built this just immaculate round rock, living waters, fly fishing. Uh, first of all, where did, what did that conversation look like in your head? Like, Hey, <laughs> I'm going to do this, you know? So I, I get asked this a lot. And even on other podcasts, I've been asked, so what, how did this all start? You know, like you obviously started fly fishing young, but what happened to the store? You know, like what was the deal? And so, um, and with a name like living waters, we get a lot of phone calls too about like, is this a church or is this a fly shop? And we just answer yes. So that's the, I love that's yes. the easiest part. I'm like, yeah, I mean, we'll pray for you. We have no problem with that. Um, and that's, that's actually more what we're about than even fly fishing. But the thing that's really interesting is that I had obviously graduated high school and was going to college and I was, I quickly found out I couldn't major in fishing. And every, which is very unfortunate. Everybody keeps looking for that. I mean, we just I, can't I, find a major. Out I, there. I, I've tried. And I mean, trust me, I, I looked hard. I was going to go into the biological science side and go, you know, go do field work and stuff like that. I mean, because I, I still love that. I absolutely am so passionate about that. And one of the things that's so cool is the stuff that I would have gone to college and actually pursued and studied, I've now had a chance to do. We're working with, you know, Rio Grande Cutthroat in Colorado, New Mexico actively. Uh, I do a lot of conservation work through Guadalupe River Trout Unlimited here in Texas. Uh, I got to electroshock Brushy Creek with some of my biologist friends last year, and I'm just like, this is the stuff I wanted to go do, and I'm now, I'm now getting to do it as a shop owner. So God is so good. He, he lets you just run with your passion, and, and, and it always kind of recenters you back to all the things you were passionate about. You get to have your cake and eat it too so many times as long as there's a yes in your heart. And that's the that's the part that's been really neat about this. But the shop I started when I was 21 years old. So I was in college wow. 
And I was like, dad, and my dad's a, a full-time missionary and he's, uh, he's pastored a church for years up in Dallas. And then we moved down here and, uh, but, but he's, a, he's been in ministry, you know, pretty much all of his life and, uh, or all my life anyway. And, uh, the thing that's really interesting is I looked and I was like, I do not know what I'm doing here. I'm like, I'm, I'm making four point I do not have a problem with school. I I'm not fitting. I'm like, this is not working for me. I don't get it. And he goes, pray about it. He's like, whatever God tells you to do, even if I don't agree with you, he's like, if you believe that God told you to do it, I'll support you in it. And, uh, which is a very gutsy move as a parent. I mean, and, and I, and I know that now from having two kids of my own and going, Hmm. You know, if you told me you wanted to start a fly shop, would I let you do it? You know, and the answer is after owning one, I'm like, don't do that. But uh, God better be in it or it's going to flop. Um, but the thing that was interesting is a 21 year old kid, you know, I was, I mean, I literally, I, I told somebody the other day, I was like 15 years into this, I still don't know what I'm doing. Um, and everybody's like, Oh no, that can't be the truth. I'm like, I really, a lot of times just go, God, you've got this. I, I do not understand you know, sometimes where we're going, uh, I know where we've been. A lot of times I don't know where we're going. And I know as a visionary, that's probably not the best thing, but I find that God just kind of brings us there. And, uh, it started out in a little over 500 square feet. I think it was 577 square feet in a reclaimed cat shelter, reclaimed cat shelter. Yes. So uh, yeah, the, the, the beginnings were not all that glamorous. Uh, it was over here off of Sam Bass road on the uh, Western side of town. There was a cat hospital that, that is still there, I believe that they had a single unit that they had rented out as a cat shelter for all these cats that they were trying to rehab and all gotcha. that. So needless to say, the place smelled terrible. We had to gut it, and I think it got bleached and 409 and everything in between. Um, but we scrubbed every wall and every surface in that place, redid all the floors, repainted, redid everything. And it was this kind of this quaint little fly closet. And I mean, like... Uh, I, one of my guide friends is a very dear friend of mine. He goes, there were so many people when they walked into that place, they laughed and said, this will never make it. And, and they were not, and they didn't do it in poor taste. It wasn't wishing me ill. It was just like, here's a 21 year old kid with a fly closet. There's no way this is going to take off. There were, you know, we had other big box stores in town that we were competing against and stuff like that. It shouldn't have made it. But God was in it, and uh, it wound up expanding. We wound up, after several years of being there and even renting out another suite to expand into a classroom space, we wound up coming into downtown Round Rock, having another suite there that was about 1,000 square feet. And now you're sitting in what was the uh, the ultimate iteration, and that's the, the from ground up build, got to design it, and it's tailor-made for us. Oh, it's, it's too cool, man. It's It speaks to what you're about. When you walk in, you get a feel. Um and you know, obviously, we're here early in the morning. This is not even people walking around. Yeah, yet. you get the private showing. Yeah, I get the private showing, but uh, it's just it, it is a great spot. And what does it mean to you? Um, what would you tell people? I, I guess I ask this question a lot for people who are have seen it kind of come some have built something from nothing. I guess, and I guess you would kind of say that you know you Absolutely. built a flash shop here out of there's not first one round rocks yeah, ever had. Round, there you go, first one round rocks ever had. So first of all, what is, what is that? What would you say are your tips or, I mean, you mentioned, you know, staying faithful and that's so important to you, but what are some, maybe just a tip or two that says, Hey, cause I'm sure there were some nights where it was like, man, am I really supposed to be doing this? I'm sure everything was not always this, right? What you mean? Like last night? No, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, really, truly, I mean, I know what it's like to, and I mean, and some of my staff does too. I mean, we've, we've, we all go through it together, but I mean, I think, you know, when you, when you own it, the, the hard part is, is realizing that you're just a steward you're not a really an owner. Uh, it's truly his. And that's something that, you know, for me, I mean, my faith is something that if it wasn't for that, uh, we wouldn't be here. I, I've had people that, I mean, when we've been in dire straits before I've sought, you know, business advice and I was told to close it, uh, several times and I prayed about it and God said, don't. And so that literally smacks in the face of, the advice you were given of people who were, you know, some of the most wealthy people I'll ever meet. Um, and I mean, and on paper, it looked like we should have, I mean, 100%. And it's looked like that several times uh, over the years. And I mean, people see it now. They're like, Oh, there's no way you've ever had them. Like, Dude, you don't know. I'm like, you don't see when I'm up here and I turn the lights off and I sit in the corner and literally cry. I mean, like I've had nights like that. And I mean, and, and I think, you know, that a lot of business owners never admit that a lot of them, you know, I guess in the secular world, you're going to go, you know, sit in the corner and drink or something. <laughs> but I mean, like for me, it, it always makes me hit my knees. 
And uh, because I realize this without him, I can't do it. And if I do it in my own strength, it's shot. It's, it's dead to begin with. And so that's one of the things that makes running this business so entirely different. And, and I really, when people ask, so what do you, what do you attribute 15 years? I mean, that's a long time for a fly shop. And, you know, and, and I'm like, there's only one place. I'm like, it's really his faithfulness. And then if I had a second, I would say it's my team. I mean, like they make this thing happen. We've got fantastic guides. We've got awesome managers. We have incredible floor staff. I've got a great God and a great team. And then, and I, I'm just kind of along for the ride. And I mean, and I know that, you know, you've kind of got to be the spiritual leader of things, but there's so many times I'm like, that, I mean, and I think anybody probably feels this way when they lead something, they feel inadequate. And it's one of those things of like, there's never enough of me anywhere, whether it's out there, in here, it, it, like at home. Sometimes I just feel like, oh man, if there were like eight of me, I'd probably get everything I want done, done. That's I mean, just typical dad life, right? <laughs> it, it is. And I mean, and, and, and truly, but I felt that way even before I had kids. So it's one, <laughs> yeah, it's one sure. of those things of just like, uh, for here, the, the the real thing I would say for anybody who's, ever looking at running a business, owning a business, it's like, you've got to know God's in it. And I mean, and, and if you don't know that, or that's not the way you operate, then you have to be passionate. You are, you are the, you are kind of the passionate person that represents what it is you're doing. Um, and I would, I would even call it the spiritual leader. You know, essentially, it's the, it's the person that's the charismatic one that's able to stand out front, lead charge. You know, for conservation work on Brushy Creek, for new products in store, for rallying a team together to say, "Hey, this is going to be an awesome week. Let's, let's really rock this." And y'all have got it. And you know, just. And, and I mean, I do well in it in some places and I, and I, there's a lot to be desired in others. I mean, I'm, I'm not a perfect person. I'll never say that I am. Um, but the thing that I do know is you can't fake passion and lovers will always work harder than workers. That is a man. That's a great statement. And I couldn't agree more on, um, you know, even in doing this little podcast that we have, it kind of runs around, um, you know, people say all the time, we, we can just hear you guys and how much you care about the people you talk to and the place you get to go and the, the different, you know, what we're trying to do really, which is in our case, it's just build a community of dads and anglers um, and inspire them to be active with their kids outside. So, uh, man, thank you for that. What a great way to look at just being successful um, and, and also being vulnerable enough to understand that, you know, there are those nights that anytime you're trying to do something, you're like, why, maybe not, why am I doing this? But for, for you, um, for us on the show, you know, like we know why we're doing it, you know why you're doing it. You, you have a greater calling, but just to have those, to be vulnerable enough to say, Hey, there's some times where it's going to be tough, but you know, through God and through your team, I think those are two things that I rely on a lot as well. Um, people supporting you, uh, too cool. We're going to take a quick break and then I want to come back and uh, really talk to you about your own family, but also, uh, what kind of sets living water fly fishing apart. We spoke a little bit about it, but, um, there's a, there's a cool thing. I want to make sure we get in there and, uh, we'll be right back. give a big thank you to a sponsor of this episode turtle box audio joshua turtle box audio speakers the most rugged loudest outdoor speaker on the market we just continue to not be able to say enough great things about these things yeah if you've heard any of our episodes in the last two months maybe even longer than that you know how much we love our turtle box audio uh, the other day we were playing pickleball and Corbin was like, Hey, where's the turtle box? So it's not just for fishing. It's for anything you do. You got to get a turtle box audio for your family adventures, anywhere you're going, whether it's out on the water or just on a beach trip or in a mountain, any, any kind of trip you're hanging out outside. Nothing better than having a turtle box audio blast some tunes or listen to an episode of dads and fly podcast. So, uh, get your turtle box audio today at turtleboxaudio.com. Yeah. Check them out and, uh, get whatever type of custom speaker you want there at turtleboxaudio.com. Chris Johnson of Living Waters Fly Fishing. And Chris, me and Caleb talk about all the time, you know, we, in our second year of our podcast, we've tried to be more intentional with our guests and who we have on the show. And uh, we really try to interview fathers. Um, that's kind of our first criteria. And, uh, you know, and then if we can find a, um, a father of fly fisher, that obviously makes it pretty good. And then if we can find a father of fly fisher who is also a man of faith, that's like our home run kind of, so you qualify, man, is like, you're the home run guest, you know, so you are a, a perfect opportunity. And I really do appreciate you. Um, 
I, just to let people know, when I reached out to Chris, I had heard from, I told some people on the show, I was going to Austin a couple episodes a while back, and they were like, gotta see Chris, gotta see Chris, gotta see Chris. Um, and so I think they knew from our show kind of what we're about and then what you're about. And you spoke about it a little bit, but there's a, right out here on this wall, there's a, a, a Bible verse, I, I believe. Is that correct? Yep, I think it's out right. here when I walked yeah, it's in. it's just right below us here. Yeah, right below us. And um, so just talk about why that is. I mean, I think we know now from hearing you why that's important, but you know, that, that can be, that can be risky. Does that make sense? Like oh, yeah. for, for sure. Okay. Oh, and yeah. so talk, talk about, you know, how that has been not only accepted, but also, you know, really just makes you probably even more happy that this place has done what it's done. Honestly. I mean, that's, and that's a, this is going to be a long answer, but the, the, the thing that really comes down to me is God's the one that started it. God's the one that'll end it. Uh, there's no economic downturn. There's no calamity uh, that he won't see coming. And honestly, success is up to him. And, and, and really, the, everybody's like, well, how do you know you're successful? The only, I mean, the only way I can really prove that is I'm doing what God said do, and I'm, there's a yes in my heart to him, and the results are up to him. Obedience is all he wants. The results, uh, it doesn't matter store revenue, doesn't matter if you know everybody quits tomorrow. I mean, that might mean I'm doing something wrong, but it's one of those things of just like the, the actual shop itself if there's a yes in my heart to him and I'm doing what he said do, I am successful, period. That whatever happens after that, be there a worldly win or failure, um, you know, in the side of the world, that that's, you know, inconsequential as long as I can look up and go, Dad, how we doing? And and that's something that with this shop, I, we we don't apologize for that. I, I don't push it on people. That's that's something I'm not, we're not Bible thumpers. It's something that's like, I mean, I, I absolutely believe in the word of God and I absolutely live my life by it. Um, but I mean, I tell people all the time, I'm like, when folks walk through that front door right there that you can see from up here, they are family. I mean, I tell my staff this, when somebody walks through that door, it is the best part of the best part of their day. They deserve your best. And, and that's the thing is we, I want our staff to love people. And I think that's one of the things that fly shops kind of get a, bad rap for sometimes is being a little snooty uh you'll get some that are a little closed off or just like uh, hi you know kind of that sort of thing and then if if, the, if it's a beginner it's like hey i'm just starting that's not their ideal customer oh man you can just th- you can th- 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 those those are the shops we try to kind of tell people not like we don't call them by name but sure. you know when you walk into a shop and even i've been doing this i mean i've been fly fishing now for 10 years almost i guess over 11 now and Sometimes you still get that because there's some things I don't know about. Does that make sense? Like right. if I was going to go mm-hmm. into a fly shop and say, "Hey, I want to start trying to tie some some saltwater flies," which I've never done. Sure. And they're like, "Oh, great!" I knew, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can kind of feel that. And I want to go back to what you said, though. Man, my dad has always my dad's a retired pastor, and uh, he used to have a thing he ended every email with, which was uh, "Love God, love people." Mm-hmm. And um, he had shirts made and license. He has license plate. That was his thing. And I've always resonated with that because I think. Sometimes we can, and I loved what you said. We don't, we don't want to thump people. We don't want to push people. But what way I look at it is, and when people ask me sometimes about my faith, I, without having to have a long conversation, if I'm just meeting them for the first time, right? You know, what did Jesus do? He 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 loved God and he loved people. Now, there's a lot. You know, we can go into what he did sure. in his ministry and theology and all that. But at the core of it, you know, he was faithful to his God and he was faithful to loving people. Absolutely. And and so to that's what we try to do when we go places with the show. And I think that that says so much when you get a smile, when you walk in and you're not intimidated and mm-hmm. people feel like, man, these people care about me Absolutely. and what I'm doing here. Um, so thank, thank you for that. I mean, I would just tell no, people I mean, for sure. To, it's just who we are. We need more, but we need more people like, I mean, I think we need more people like that because in the world, you know, as a, as a father of young kids, well, my son's almost going to go into middle school, which is kind of crazy that I'm where he is. But, but, you know, I, we talk about it in our household a lot. Uh, there are some things that we try to make really core values, in, me and my wife, in our household. And one of them is we, we're big on being honest. <laughs> and uh, Because I think we get so much. I teach eighth grade, man. It's like I'll see a kid do something, and I'll ask him, him or she. <laughs> it's like, I didn't do it. It's like, just be honest. Like, I don't just learn to be honest. And that's a big one for me. And then the other one is just really try to be kind and love people. And I think mm-hmm. being kind is loving people. And so um, you're a young 
a father yourself. You got two young kids. We were talking about off air. And uh, so what is it? How cool is it that they, I mean, I know if I was a six-year-old kid, I'd love to come to work with dad sometimes. Or So how cool is it for them to kind of experience this through you? And it does seem like a, like a, like a, like a, I don't know if a mission is the wrong word, but a ministry for you. And I get it, it that is. feel. No, it, it totally is. I mean, well, and, and the thing that's really critical is like, if, if you name the name of Jesus and that's who you believe in and who you're after and that, you know, the love God, love people thing. I mean, he summed it up in scripture. He said on these two hang all the law and all the prophets to the Pharisees. So, I mean, that's, if we're going to err on the side of anything, we're going to err on the side of that. And they're like, it, it, and the thing that's really sad to me, um, I have some really crazy testimonies through this place. And I, I was a youth pastor for years and I, I've done time. So, I mean, I'm, I'm ordained in the whole nine yards. So I've been, I've been there. Yeah. We, we've all done time. So it's one of those things of like, but it's interesting because life is ministry. There, there's not this, I mean, yeah, there's a vocational side of it, but the fact of the matter is, is, you know, isn't it funny that Jesus never had to persuade anybody to form a crowd? I mean, it, we miss that a lot is that when Jesus traveled, people gathered the end and, and and they weren't squeaky clean, you know, clean cut churchgoers. In fact, those were the ones he actually had the trouble with was yeah. the religious. I always say that to people, I mean, maybe who are not necessarily biblical scholars, and I don't consider myself a biblical scholar, just, uh, you know, eight, just my entire childhood of being in church every time the doors were open as a pastor's kid. So I got mm-hmm. a lot of biblical scholars, just scholar that way. But sometimes we forget, man, G- Jesus Probably, I always say this, I'm not so sure he would even be in your churches right now if he came. He would probably be hanging out with the people that sometimes we don't want to hang out with. And, uh, he'd be on a river somewhere. Yeah, there you go. That'd be perfect. <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a drift boat or uh, on a river somewhere meeting people. Um, and that's, so go back to what you said about your kids and um, them being a part of this, this ministry. Absolutely. I mean, for them, I mean, and I've, I mean, Lydia, she's six now and David's four. Um, you know, when we first had Lydia, that, I mean, that's, you know, first kid, everything's new, it's exciting and scary. Um, but it was, I've got pictures of her where I'm literally receiving an order of flies and she's sitting there on the floor and her little, little like bassinet thing, just smiling at me. And I'm like, that's just cute, man. I mean, they've crawled all over the floor of every fly shop we've owned. And, uh, now Lydia comes to fly tying nights on Wednesday nights and pretty much rules the place. I mean, like she will, it was so funny. She ties flies upstairs with a beginner group cause she's still learning, but she's pretty good. And so she tied this fly and this guy that was sitting at the table goes, well, that's embarrassing. I was like, and the guy goes, what? And he goes, I just got my rear handed to me by a five-year-old. And so, and it's like, well, that's the owner's daughter. Don't feel too bad. So it, it's one of those things that they're already in it. They fish, they love it. We, we, and the thing that I, I think is important is for me growing up, I mean, like going to work with dad, it's an IT job. So, I mean, it was still cool. You get to see all dad's friends and, and it was cool to be at the office with dad, but like, this is something that they just they've been a part of this. I mean, like they're, they're in here, they run around, they'll play hide and go seek and all the fixtures and stuff like that. I mean, they, they probably know every nook and cranny of the store better than I do. Um, but people see that we're a family and, and that's something that's so critical to me is it's something that we fish together, we play together. And then for them, they're, they're going to know that this is just, that this is what we do. People are like, well, what if your kids don't like fishing? I'm like, that doesn't bother me, but they'll know that's what we do. And, and, and I've never met anyone who was taught fly fishing well, not as a results oriented thing, but was taught it like from the enjoyment and the naturalist side of like being out there and encountering nature that has ever put it down. So let's speak to that. Cause we, we get that a lot and you know, everybody we have on the show, we ask and what, what is it? What should you do to, and you know, some people, some kids are not going to like it and that we just are honest with people. You, maybe your kid doesn't like it. But most kids like being outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what is your sort of tips, advice? You said something there taught well, and, and I want to go back to that. Sure. So not just going out there, don't want to, I assume what you're saying is not just going out there and just slay fish for two hours. Right. But what does it mean to be taught fly fishing well? And, and I come at this from two different angles. And one, I am married to an amazing woman. And that, that's one we thing. I want to make sure and get her in there. I was, I was waiting for that. Oh, no. That, there's, <laughs> that's, that's everything. I mean, honestly, she's the one doing more time. I mean, and she's... Yeah, and I and I I think this term gets overused and uh, undercelebrated, but she is a stay-at-home mom. Um, however, she is going to be coming back up and helping at the fly shop a little bit now. Now that the kids are a little older, so she's coming back in. Uh, I think I think she starts uh, back up again, kind of helping us, kind of yank the reins a little bit around here. Um, I think she starts this week or next, so it's pretty cool to to have her back on board. Going back on the payroll. 
<laughs> You're right. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, hardly. The, the thing is, is like, she is the one who's really investing in our kids at a rate that, I mean, I'll, I'll never be able to do just because of time spent and, and just the sacrifice there. I mean, motherhood is one of the highest callings on the earth and it is one of the most under celebrated roles, uh, in, in humanity. I mean, you just don't see it anymore. I mean, you know, it's like, Oh, mother's day. And that's about it. You don't realize that like, okay, every single day is mother's day. And, and so as a dad, you know, for me, obviously this is my business. This is what we love to do. But I mean, my wife and I, I mean, she, I taught her to fly fish when we were dating. Um, and it was interesting because now we've done, we spent our honeymoon fly fishing. We spend a lot of our anniversaries fly fishing. Last week we had a little getaway. We fly fished the whole time, but she's also a gardener. And so she, like our entire backyard is produce, which is insane. Like it's, it truly, her knowledge on just plants and produce and, you know, the application of anything. I mean, whether it's medicinal or whatever, I mean, she's, she is like an encyclopedia of that sort of stuff, but she has involved our kids in every step of it. Likewise, when we go fish, we involve our kids and the fishing side may not last that long. And that's, this is, if I were going to stress anything to a parent, it's make the memory. Don't expect the result. So I had a guide trip one time, just a perfect example. I had a guide trip with a gentleman. He had two young kids. I think one was eight and the other one might've been six. And he's like, are they too young? I said, not at all. Let's go. And I'm like, but I need you to understand this is not going to look like what you think it's going to look like. Then he goes, okay. And I, 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 he, I knew when he answered, he didn't understand me. We got out to the Lano river, got out there and it was just an incredible day. And the, and of course the dad, dad's like, okay, just take care of them. I'm like, of course you fish, have fun. If you need anything, let me know. I can tie a fly on or not or whatever. But I said, my day's about them. I said, we're going to make sure they have a blast. And I've got his two kids, one of which it was very apparent could not cast and was not going to learn to cast that day because he just didn't want to take instruction, which is fine. That happens. And, and a lot of parents, that's where they get frustrated is, well, they're not listening. They're not doing this. I'm like, you brought them out here. You're, you're going to have to sleep in the bed you made. But here's what I was able to do. And, and this is something that I've done for my kids as well. I'm able to set a hook on a fish and let them fight it in. So they get the sensation, they get the pleasure, they get the experience. And the thing that's really cool for them is they think that every time we go fishing, we just automatically catch fish. And I do not take them when it's going to be a grind. I take it when it's going to be good. And thankfully, as a professional fishing guide, I can kind of make fish happen, which a lot of people can't. And so the one thing I would say, and to your, to your point, find a place where fishing is close and find a place where fishing is fast, where you can just straight make it happen in 10 minutes, because that might be all you get. You might spend 20 minutes walking in there and getting all the snacks and the backpacks and all the stuff together and just the menagerie of things that comes along. You feel like a Sherpa half the time. You got two kids. It's like, how do two kids need this much stuff to survive in the wild for 10 minutes? You know, that's it, just part of it. But when they catch the fish, they're excited. They let it go. And then they're like, dad, I want to throw rocks. Let them. And this gentleman on that trip, I, I caught a lot of fish for his younger kid and he enjoyed it. The older one actually caught some of his own and had a good time. But while we're fishing, I'm like, all right, we're going to wait up there, see this really nice pool. And I tie this fly on. And as I'm looking down, I hear cannonball. And this kid literally jumps off the rock, this huge rock ledge into the pool that we were going to fish. And the dad goes, no. And I said, no, 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 stop. And he's like, what? I said, make the memory. He's having a blast. That one fish doesn't matter. He'll never remember it. He'll remember this day. He won't remember that fish. They'll be talking about that cannonball forever. Ever. Yep. And they'll remember they went fishing with dad on the Lano. They had a great day. They went out and probably had barbecue after. They're going to have the memory. The, the fish are never the goal. That You need that to help the fishing side come along. And that's why I have to be, I mean, my kids sometimes, as much as they've done it, sometimes they want to fish for 30 minutes. Sometimes it's one fish. They catch their one fish and they're good. And I have to respect that. You don't push it on them. Yeah, my son, who's, uh, you know, I can, all of us can brag about our kids, right? Um, Absolutely. All of us, but uh, my son's 11 and he's probably one of the more patient 11 year olds I've ever met. And I've been teaching middle school a long time. Um, and he's, so he will sit and be fine without catching fish, uh, in difficult places. My daughter's eight and she's very different. 
And so I understand when I take her, if like, even if I know that it's kind of like what you said, even if I know it's not going to be like probably good conditions, we're probably not even going to do that that day. Exactly. Uh, we're probably going to do something else. We may hike, we may go see a sunset or something. And I think as a dad, sometimes I get tired of going to the same waters mm-hmm. over and over again, because I know they're going to fish. Does that make sense? Like I yep. know this is going to fish good. Well, I know I can get them fish here, but I have to remember, and me and Caleb talk about this a lot. That afternoon is really not about me. And it's definitely not about our fish. We're going to catch. It's more like what you just said. Exactly. There's going to be a new experience. We're going to see a new tree. We're going to see a bald eagle. We're going to do something different. She's going to find a place to swing like she never has before. Yep. <laughs> it's going to be different. And, and that is so, so true, man. Because what do we do when we sit around and we talk when, you know, here I sit 30, 38 years old. What do I remember my dad? I don't remember the fish I caught when I was six. Mm-mm. I remember the time we broke the rod or the time we fell in the water or the time we forgot the anchor or yep, <laughs> all exactly. these different stories that, you know, that we laugh about now sitting around uh, at dinner time uh, when we're adults. And so what a great testament to, you know, being outside with your kids and, and making those memories. Um, I want to come circle back to one thing before we get off here. And cause I mean, you know, it might be time to do some fishing here in a minute. Probably uh, so. Getting close. <laughs> um, you spoke about your team, and uh, how, I think you've been very intentional, I, w- I would assume, in who you put in this place because of what it's about. Um, and so how cool is that that you found that group of people to, to make this happen? I mean, once again, I feel like I've happened into a lot of this. Um, one of the ways that we typically go about finding people to work here is we hire a lot of our customers that they awesome. that they understand the climate of the store and it's not and they don't have to necessarily believe the same way we do it's not that at all it's they know how to love people and they know the product they know how we operate they they really come alongside what it is we're doing and i mean we've done that you know it, it, basically we take a, some of our regulars and say you know how about you just come on board and a lot of times you know they're some of them are retired and some of them are young i mean uh, uh mason who will be fishing with us today i mean the kid is amazing comes from good stock for one but for two i mean he's been coming in here and tying flies since he's a kid and i'm like i'd put his tying up against anybody in the state and he's amazing and he's i what i think he's 16. oh wow yeah and so you're gonna be fishing with him a little bit this morning so that'll be really cool too uh, i'll tag along for some of it i'm gonna leave you in his able hands today uh, and uh, well and hopefully and, i won't be too humbled i'm sure i'll be <laughs> well the, 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 sh- i tell you what man he is he's incredible um, but I mean, that's, that's exactly it is we, we, I don't need people that operate exactly the same way sure. I operate the, and once again, I mean, we tell people this all the time when people come in here, their family, you love them where they're at, regardless, they, they, they could be having, I mean, I had a, this is something really crazy that, I mean, you and I don't even think about a story like this, but you know, when I, when I said, you know, is it a fly shop or is it a church? I had an instance where a gentleman came in here and he kind of rushed through the door and I knew him. He'd, he'd been, been in before, and this is years ago. And uh, he looked at me and he goes, I don't need to buy anything today. He's like, I need you to pray for me. And, and I was like, what's going on? He said, my church just told my wife to divorce me. And so I can't run to my church. I need prayer. And I said, come on. And literally just closed the door on the shop because it was just me at the time. Walked back, put him in the back room, let him cry his eyes out and just was able to minister and pray for him in the back. And it's just, you know, and I mean, we've had, I mean, and I know a lot of people believe different stuff, but I mean, we've had physical healings in the store. We've had salvations in the store. We've had just times to minister over people. We have one guy, he couldn't go on a, a an excursion to Argentina because his blood pressure was too high. I said, I know somebody who fixes that sort of stuff. And he goes, huh? I said, you want, mind if we pray for you? And he goes, oh, that'd be great. Bring him in the back, pray for him. He calls us back the next week, goes, went to the dock. All my numbers are normal. I'm going to Argentina. And so, I mean, it's just, it's crazy stuff that, I mean, you're just like, wait a minute, that, that still happens. I'm like, yeah, if, if you look for it, like, and, and most of us aren't aware that I think that's our biggest issue is we're living our life in a business mode and, and I'm guilty of it very, very often. For sure. Like I'm, I'm, I'm no example, shining example of how to do this. The, the thing is, if I will let myself be led and be aware of what's going on around me, just like you have to have a yes in your heart to him, you also have a yes in, in your heart to what he's doing. And so many times I'll get in here before store opening and I'll just go, God, I don't want to miss what you're doing today. Give me eyes to see. And, and that right there helps me love people because I'm able to see through the facade, 
find out where they're at and, and, and do a little bit of digging for gold where there's something lovable in that person, even if the exterior is a little rough. <laughs> and so that's one of those things that I think we're, we're very quick to judge and very quick to write people off, but Jesus never did. Yeah. I mean, like if we've, if we've learned anything from him, what, what did he do? And the disciples probably were so annoyed with it. it, it how many times in scripture does it say he was moved with compassion? Compassion. And that is such, I mean, and, and the disciples are like, oh, again, yeah. you know, it's just like, not this time. Can we please go to where we said, where you said we were going? And he's like, we're still going there. This is just part of the road there. And that's the part where we need to learn what it's like to be able to be moved with compassion. And that loving God, loving people is there's one that, you know, that's a great saying. And I, and I know you mentioned that, you know, your dad and everything had that on a license plate and everything. It's love your neighbor as yourself. And the guarantee is that you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. But most of us don't find, we love ourselves from a financial standpoint and how we spend time on ourselves and money on ourselves and all that. But it, when we look internally, a lot of us don't come out encouraged. You know, we see the darkness in us or what we fall short on or whatever. The only way you'll truly love yourself is if you see yourself how God sees you. And, and that's the part of loving him first and go, God, before I can even love them, Show me what it is you love about me, because then you learn how to love. It's a process. And that's the thing of every single one of them. God loves every single person that walks through that door as much as he loves me. Some of the differences I may have said yes, and they haven't yet. That's the only difference. What a, what a great thing, man. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for this, man. Thank you for uh, hosting me for a couple of days. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm going to get to fish a little bit with you and uh, Mason today. And then, uh, you know, I've got a, one of your God buddies. You told me to make sure yeah, I get yeah. tomorrow. He's going to go float me somewhere. I don't even know where we're going tomorrow. You're, you're going to the jungle tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. Dude. <laughs> so, so it's going to be a fun time. And uh, before we wrap up, I just want to let uh, everybody know a couple. Th- I want to make sure and give you a chance Um to let everybody know a couple of things. Um, it's Living Waters Fly Fishing, which mm-hmm. you can find. I think it's livingwatersflyfishing.com. Com. Yep. I want to make sure you get yep. some more over to com. I want to make sure. So livingwatersflyfishing.com. And I would say if you're anywhere, guys, within an hour, I mean, you know, I happen to be staying 10 minutes at our hotel that we're uh, from my wife's conference here in Austin. So it was perfect for me. But if you're with anywhere within an hour, a couple hours, you, you got to come check this place out. Um, We've already obviously talked about it, but you can float for for bass. You can float for oh, yeah. different fish. You got float trips here. You can do wade trips, absolutely, um, with your guys. And then if you just need to come in and get some some fly tying stuff, um, I happen to be here during your fifteenth year anniversary, which I kind of got an email because I'm on your email list now, and I was like, man, I'm gonna just have to hang out with all this stuff they're doing. Uh, you got all kind of giveaways going on this week, and all these big sales in the shop, and so. Uh, Thank you for uh, just doing what you do here in Round Rock, Texas. Folks, if you're in the area, please come check them out. Living Waters Fly Fishing on Instagram, I yep, believe. we got Instagram, have Facebook, have all the social stuff. And, and we do a lot on there just to even let people know some of the conservation stuff we do. I mean, we really have three pillars as a store in terms of how we operate, and that's conservation, education, and community. Um, and really, you want to build the community, educate them. As you educate them, they want to conserve what they have. And so those are really the three things that we do and, and that's a very accessible to, you know, not just our residents here locally, but even online what we're doing, uh, we, we make that known to the masses. So if you ever want to partner up with anything we're doing, easy to do. Well, Chris, I can't thank you enough. Um, Caleb is going to be extremely jealous uh, when he hears this episode. Uh, he will probably want to get down here at some point after not only seeing this place, but spending time with you. You're definitely a man of passion who uh, believes in what he's doing and also just believes in people. And that is so awesome to see. I think we're both kind of kindred spirits when it comes to type A personalities and uh, energy. I know people tell me a lot at school that I sometimes have too much energy, so uh, I appreciate that part of it. And thank you so much for having us, guys. Uh, anything else, Chris, before we get off here? Man, I, I, I just appreciate the privilege of being on here. So thank you so much for coming out. And uh, you think you'll be jealous after this. Wait till he sees the fish pictures. There you go. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> guys, this has been uh, Dazzle to Fly with uh, Chris Johnson of Living Waters Fly Fishing. And until next time, tight lines listening to this episode of the dads on the fly podcast we hope this episode has inspired you as a parent or an angler if you've enjoyed this episode please check us out at dadsonthefly.com. there you can subscribe to our email list and find out all the things we got going on here at dads on the fly